Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, August 12th, 2022. Today on the Ether, will blockchains and AI end us? An interesting discussion hosted by the Bytes Digital Group with CeFi, Deeb's DeFi, Orbital Command, and more. Let's take a listen. Howdy, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday or Saturday, depending on where you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining. Yo, what's How up? Everyone? What's going on? Uh, it's it's going. I'm happy that it's Friday. Um, not too many bear market news today, which is uh, really exciting to see that there's no major bear market news that uh, uh, broke everyone besides the whole Tornado Cash. I think Tornado Cash has been the most like sad, depressing news. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This week, uh, to me, it was a bit of a surprise just because I've been bearish uh but it, it does seem like uh, there's a, a lot of good things going on price wise and uh obviously that creates more hype in the web3 world and we see more action with crypto twitter i feel like i've been seeing a lot more twitter spaces as well even though some of them are very ridiculous still they're revolving around uh, web3 uh but yeah this week uh tornado cash seems to be the one thing that just uh kind of uh grab everybody's attention because it is a big deal yeah absolutely hey deeps how are you doing how's how's this week going for you hey hey joseph edwin it's good it's good um been packing this uh this week into the weekend for my brief hiatus that i know i told you all about from crypto uh but other than that pretty good week and uh yeah just paying attention to all this stuff going on um and just uh, excited for this space. I, I hope that while you're gone, uh, you, you've set up, um, uh, I hope you've set up like some stop losses um, or doing some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, actual thing to, uh, to help with, uh, to, to help with in case the market starts pumping uh, or just dumping, uh, whatever, whatever you can do to kind of protect what you're doing uh, while you're gone. Yeah, that's a good point. I definitely, I definitely have some plans in in place, and um, you know, <laughs> maybe bringing at least my mobile cold storage wallet out there. <laughs> so, um, and we'll be trying to find cell service too. But yeah, good point. All right. Well, I wanted to get us into the first news of the day. Uh, I know I already mentioned it, Tornado Cash, um, and it's it seems like it's been around me uh, like a lot. I've actually had a lot of my I, uh, like in real life uh, normie friends ask me about it uh, because I have a lot of normie friends who know that I'm the crypto bro in their life. Uh, and so they asked me like, hey, man, I heard that uh, tornado cash like the U.S. government. They're coming for you. Uh, what do you what are your feelings about that? But uh, but yeah, so tornado cash, if anyone isn't aware somehow, 
the U.S. government has essentially sanctioned uh, some, uh, like the Tornado Cash platform. Uh, it's, the too long didn't read version. Uh, too long didn't read version is basically Tornado Cash is serving as a almost as a, a as a mixer, and it's where people can send their Ethereum to this platform. It gets randomized and then it gets sent out back to the user uh, in a fresh form where it is an untrackable, unattainable and un uncertained amount of ETH that like no one knows where it came from. And ideally that this is a way for a user to be anonymized with what Ethereum they're using to transact uh, and to hopefully encourage that anonymity in forms of decentralized transactions. Um, and so there were, I mean, like, obviously, there is probably some non zero percent chance that there's that there was some illicit activities going on using Tornado Cash. Perhaps someone was using some Ethereum to order some weed off the deep web or to order a brick of cocaine off the deep web. Like, who knows? Like, someone was probably doing that. Um, and there was also some alleged speculation that uh, that North Korea themselves were using Tornado Cash as like a platform for them to wash and to basically launder money uh, with cryptocurrencies and just with crypto assets. Um, and that's that's kind of been the narrative that has been painted by various news outlets and news sources. Uh, I'm going to be adding a tweet to the top of the actual session where we can actually talk about it. Um, and this 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 tweet uh, coming from a from a dot ETH person. Um, so take everything with a grain of salt, obviously. But this is a good way to kind of represent it. I guess my general sentiments of it uh, is that this is essentially a persecution of code development. Um, and it does walk that line of code is free speech. Uh, and I know that everyone's been hearing that. I know everyone has been just kind of taking in that. And it is a straw man argument. It's like a straw man like way for us to tell people in the normal world that code is free speech. Um, but I'd love to get your guys' take on it. How do you guys interpret this like code free speech uh, portion of this? And how do you see us moving forward as like a decentralized community and as an industry entirely uh, from your guys' perspective? Well, yeah, if I could start, I mean, there's so many different points to talk about here, right? Uh, but I think what, what we've been seeing is just the domino effects that seem to always happen. When, when like one thing starts, then multiple scenarios start to just kind of fall down. And uh, that's the wag me environment of Web3 on both the positive side and the negative side. But it, it it's weird to think that somebody can, you know, write some code that's meant to be, you know, open source and decentralized uh, for anyone to use, and then still have to bear the the weight of one country's government, right, and policies, and having them kind of control that. Uh, it, it's just such a weird thing, and it just makes me also think back to why we were all really happy about UST and why we were pushing that decentralized economy idea uh, because because we all, we all kind of want to get in that um, in that place where where no government can control our money or, or lock things up right so so now uh, one one last thought here is that USDC is, is a very centralized um, stablecoin but at the same time, it's the way that normies and the, the way that you know hedge funds and billionaires are being onboarded into Web three and DeFi. So it's it's uh, it's it's hard to like uh, 
not completely support USDC at the same time, right? Because they are the ones that are helping make uh, just whales uh, feel more uh, safe and secure about bringing their money into DeFi. But anyways, those are just the thoughts. And I did just want to give a shout out to the people that we have here. I see we have Seth up here, but TFM, Rebel DeFi, Chino Man, we have the Promise 77, Madman, all cool people from the community. So really appreciate you guys stopping by here. Hey guys, just kind of dropped in. Did you just start or has this been going on for a while? <laughs> no, nah, we just, just started. 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 Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I, we're, we're just I, covering I guess... all the general news of the space uh, and Tornado Cash is kind of the topic. So feel yeah, free yeah. to give your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, the Tornado Cash story, I think um, there's probably some broader context happening here as far as you know what has been detected you know, flowing through Tornado Cash, and then the arrest issue. Um, I don't know that the arrest was uh, caused or a result necessarily of just merely the existence or development or coding Tornado Cash. Uh, you know, there may be other elements in terms of, um, you know, cash flows or suspicions about the actual founder that we're not really aware of yet, right? So that it's not really clear what this arrest was for. One, and it, 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 is it related? To, the second thing is, is it related to the actual recent sort of treasury sanction thing or not? Because um, the treasury doesn't really make uh, rules and laws directly. And they certainly don't make rules and laws related to anything crypto related at this moment. So there's no like legality to hang their hat on in terms of some kind of direct action against uh specifically an american citizen but i don't think this gentleman's an american citizen anyway um what amsterdam or whoever has anything to do with this guy and like what's actually been asserted as the violated law or statute i don't i don't know so there's just nothing that we know about what's happening there i think the crypto community is kind of making it out like well you know what is it illegal to code computers now uh, you know, is it illegal to do any kind of privacy solution at all? You know, what about VPNs and what about, uh, you know, Tor browsers and this and that? Um, so I, I don't know that we know the context of this arrest yet. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe you guys have heard anything uh, fresher than what I've heard. Uh, you can sort of chime in on that. Uh, Matt, feel free to hop in here, too. Uh, but, yeah, I haven't personally uh, seen anything about the arrest. Uh, I do know that, I mean, he was just uh, a developer, or the, the founder, the, the legitimate uh, developer for Tornado Cash. Uh, and I do know that they were basically, the, the, the through the U.S. sanction, Microsoft had uh, actively been deleting the GitHub accounts of the developers that contributed to the project, um, which is really interesting to me to see that happening. Uh, because, like, allegedly GitHub is a decentralized software distribution platform. Uh, and and that's, that's kind of been the ethos of it, is that, like, you can go here and have access to this, like, decentralized open source format of sharing and releasing, like, code and software. Where, um, but an obvious application of that in this moment in time, uh, it's being used to literally mute the development of this and to uh, kind of persecute. Uh, and for me, I, I feel this might just be because me, I'm, I'm like paranoid about, well, I guess I'm not paranoid at this point. I just kind of accept that the government's just surveilling me here in the United States. Well, um, this, just, this move basically suggests that like Treasury Department and others 
essentially see crypto as money at this point. They yeah, accept it as, at this point, they accept it as a valid form of digital value transfer. So this is what everyone wanted, right? Like, you know, oh, like we want crypto to be mainstream. Well, here it is, you know, like that's what happens. Um, and uh, basically now that it's been accepted as a form of value and a fungible form of value, whether it's, you know, Ethereum or stable coins flowing through you know, Tornado Cash or otherwise, um, that's just what happens. And once it's accepted as real money, like, uh, and there's laws being made, yes, it is real money, but now you have other issues. And the, one of the problems with the whole privacy problem anyway is, like, let's say, you know, a terrorist were to send you uh, money to your wallet, and now it looks like you're in cahoots with a terrorist. What are you going to do about it? Do you have the money to, like, uh, you know, when you when the dragnet goes and connects all the wallets to this terrorist and he's dusted your account with, you know, illicit funds or some shit, um, are you going to be able to defend yourself against these types of attacks? And the answer is, for most people on this planet, the answer is no, in terms of legal attacks. So that type of thing in general can stifle crypto to a significant degree without even having anything else really fancy go on, right? Like the, the lack of pub. So on the one hand, this is a privacy platform being targeted. On the other hand, without privacy platform, you can basically target anybody. I could basically frame any of you to have done almost anything. I could associate with you with, you know, you know, murderers and thieves and terrorists and whatever the hell. Um, so I, I could basically put together a scheme of paper trail or I uh, say a blockchain trail making you look guilty if I feel like it. So the, the, the broader context that's very rarely mentioned in the tech space among crypto people, and I've talked about this a whole lot too, is like this convergence of sort of like artificial intelligence and its ability to be used to attack the human race. And it can be used uh, fairly easily actually to do so and the the vectors are escalating to literal infinity um, at a pace which the, the human race is not like capable of handling. And uh, the non-private blockchains, as they stand today, um, suffer from the the vectors I just mentioned a minute ago regarding like me being able to frame you for almost anything, and then you having to dig yourself out of that hole. Uh, so there's just a lot with privacy. Um, and privacy by default, and I know people at Secret Network talk about this, and I think Tor was on talking about it and stuff like that, and um, all well-known problems, and uh, none of which have really, really great solutions, because while we have decentralized finance, we don't have decentralized lawyers. So <laughs> when someone comes after you or says something or you know frames you for something, you're basically fucked, right? Like, what are you going to do? Um, so anyway, just some thoughts of mine regarding the the sort of general crypto situation and holes in our uh, line of lines of thinking. Yeah, um, it, like a lot of good points brought up by all you guys, and I, I guess kind of one of the things that I look at when I see a lot of this is, um, is I, I hope something good comes out of this, right? In the in the long term, so like some silver lining here, because you know I think we all generally believe and agree on the idea of code being free speech, right? But um, we also understand that. You know, even in the United States, which has relevance because that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, free speech has limitations. Um, and so we're kind of, I think, when it comes to Web3 and DeFi right now, we're kind of in that gray area. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of court cases that have risen the Supreme Court to rule on this. So 
I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see if, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything is great what happened, but it'd be interesting to see what, um, what could come of this, what challenges could come of this. Um, and, and, and I know that a lot of uh, protocols now, the privacy protocols are kind of like reevaluating their position a little bit, um, which is interesting. I know that Void Protocol on Osmosis kind of published a statement about it um, a few days ago, maybe it was about a week ago. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know if anyone has any like legal expertise. It was a lot about this. Uh, once yeah, on like, point. The, the what actually constitutes free speech problem, though, um, like the, there are tons and tons and tons of incur examples of incursions into what you would constitute, you know, free speech. Like, for example, conspiracy. Like if you and I get together on a smartphone and talk about, I don't know, some, you know, stealing something or uh, committing some sort of crime or fraud. Um, just like the act of conspiracy, even though it's technically free speech, can be theoretically construed as, or not theoretically, actually construed as, you know, some sort of crime. So if like, you know, me and you and Rebel DeFi get together and like, okay, we're going to like go murder Orbital Command and we're going to have a chat about this on Twitter spaces, right? Like that could be construed as a bad thing. And, you know, the people at Orbital Command would be like, what in the fuck is this guy up to? Um, you know, FBI or somebody protect me. So the the their the whole free speech argument i think uh and the idea of codis free speech um it's really hard to know what that actually means because think about it this way let's say let's say i create uh first off there's now computers that write their own code uh which is an ex exciting but super dangerous uh strategy to take but there's programs now that write themselves and augment their own code and can uh, basically uh, enhance themselves through some concept of machine com combination of machine learning and through self-writing code. So that's a thing. What, what are you guys going to do when this machine decides, hey, you know what, like, I'd like free speech, or maybe the person that make, made this machine wants free speech, but this thing is out like programming drones to murder thousands of people. All right, so, like, so the free speech argument can end pretty quickly when your family is in danger of being attacked by a drone or robots or some shit. And that, that universe is there right now, right? Like any, everything I just said is not anywhere in the realm of science fiction. Like we can do all of this right now and a rogue actor or, you know, kids and shit, like high school kids could do this. This is not even at the level anymore of, oh, we, you need like, you know, a government agency or some, you know, Boston Dynamics or somebody, uh, or, you know, you, you don't need to work at like, you know, Lockheed Martin to get this shit done, right? Like high school kids can create robots now with self-perpetuating machines that can murder people. So this is not like out of the realm. So as long as you get your, like, I don't know, the, the imagination can run wild pretty quickly, but cryptography, when it meets uh, self-writing AI, we are in that world now. And to me, it's not so much, I, I think the, 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 for me, like this concept of winning the war against the machines, we've already lost it. Like we've lost that war. There is no scenario on this planet where AI does not dominate human beings. Like it's already doing it now. It's doing it like in, you know, advertising. It's doing it in, you know, all sorts of different vectors that we don't have to like cover right now. But the point is like that time is coming, whether it's self-driving cars, automation, you name it. Like there's going to be that happening. What like where we have to be careful what we wish for is, yeah, we want privacy. But are we going to afford these machines that privacy to do whatever they want to us? 
with no ability to control them in a decentralized fashion. This is the part about cryptography that nobody has figured out yet. Like when AI meets cryptography and we're basically fucked, um, our, our biggest question at that point is not going to be like, oh, my government's inflating my money away or like, oh, we're going to war with each other and killing millions of people. This is going to be water under the fucking bridge when it compares the sheer and complete devastation that it is to have a super intelligent, um, you know, machine learning system on this planet. So I, I don't know, like there is a forest from the trees problem among the tech community um, where like, you know, Nick Brostrom and Elon Musk aren't literally sitting, they're not sitting around worrying about these things, like from a small, you know, small level, they sort of already have given up and realized we're sort of screwed on this level. And they're sort of like scratching their head, wondering what to do. And like, you know, Elon wants to send us to Mars and like Nick Bostrom wants legislation to be created to try to like <laughs> prevent us from building these AI. I don't think it's going to be possible though. And uh, the privacy argument is just like, to me, like one little piece of the puzzle in a much, much bigger problem set that is not really, we're going to revolve around, I think human rights, the way we think of it. I think our human rights are basically going to be fucked no matter what. Like I see no hope here. Like I have no example of code that can't be sent to a level where I can't basically screw you with it. Like on a mass level, right? Like I can basically manipulate millions of people at a time using tech. Like there's no solution for that. There's no like, it's not like the vac. It's not like the virus, like COVID or something where you take a vaccine. Yeah, I got the vaccine. Maybe I won't get a sick. There is no vaccine for like unfettered AI against the human race and unfettered, uh, uh, you know, cryptography against the human race. So that's the part that I'm still like in the whole crypto bullishness argument. Like this is the part that always at the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, like you know, this is the thing that worries me that we're just all wrong. And um, we're just sort of like building a system that's going to screw ourselves is I, I do worry about this anyway. I actually want to push back a little bit on the um, the connotations of the privacy component to this um, in the sense that I think that what we're witnessing right now, I think it's just strictly in the sense that we have a centralized authorities with actual reason to wage war on the invention of Bitcoin. I think that the invention of Bitcoin is still like unfolding before our eyes. It's the fact that a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system of cash has been developed. Um, and so I think that there are going to be iterations that are going to evolve beyond that. Uh, and I think Ethereum is getting into that direction for uh, programmability uh, and uh, contractual obligations. It's basically the evolution of taking away these things from centralized vectors. Um, the component of AI is something that I have never considered. Um, but I, I really don't know, like, how far away we are from AI minutes. harnessed. Like, we're, are, we're already there, man. Like, we're, like, we're I, like, I know, minutes that, away. I, I know that there's, like, AI being used, like, throughout, like, uh, like all yeah, the evidence, like, on we're social media. Yeah, like, no, remember, we're not, we're not talking about GAI or general artificial intelligence where you have essentially an autonomous machine that behaves, you know, indistinguishable from human. You don't need that to basically destroy the human race. Uh, moderately, even like moderately good or extremely good machine learning, like for example, that's present in say, for example, uh, MuZero or AlphaGo or any of these like Google DeepMind systems, um, you know, which perform amazingly well, uh, it, it, they themselves create, um, a problem set that we don't have 
a solution for. If you just look at like, well, it, you just have to dig into what AI can do right now. And, you know, I don't want to like give everyone like good, you know, ways to kill the human race and whatnot. I'm just saying like, like there are plenty of things right now that are uh, extreme level threats now. I do not think you need to wait for like the sci-fi version of like data from Star Trek or some shit where, you know, he's walking around with an Android looking like a human. The, the actually the, the AIs that don't act like humans um, are, are very much uh, effective. And, and crypto is a good fuel to transfer value among machines, right? Like that's sort of IOTA. That's the concept of, you know, constellation, the concept that you can basically, you know, pay for and move around and store data in a permissionless manner. I think we all want the permissionless piece, right? We love all that. We like the the, the theoretical individual freedom that uh, gives you, but just realize that that individual freedom will then be afforded to machines that want to do you ill will or indirectly will do you in will, ill will, and you have no recourse or way to shut them down. So just, I think uh, you'll notice, like in about 20 years, you'll remember this conversation, like, holy shit, like, um, Oh well, maybe I shouldn't have like fucking done this, that, and the other thing. And you're like, really, it's just not that far away, is all I'm saying. And it, we see it in so many different, um, like uh, so many different disciplines in terms of where it's uh, permeating. And uh, the self self programming programs, right, where the code of the baseline, the base code itself, can be changed by the program to sort of iterate, sort of like how evolution works. Um, is extremely fast. It's just unbelievably uh, in like it. And not only that, but you can get to a point within, I don't know, uh, a matter of weeks where you don't even know what the code actually means anymore. Like that's how quickly uh, machine language level code can be rewritten by an application to evolve. And it's just way faster evolution than biological evolution. It's just, there's a lot of dangers being put in here. The tornado cache thing to me is kind of uh you know th this is the usual shit that's going to happen like we knew stuff like this was going to happen it's nothing really to me uh groundbreaking or earth shattering that s services like that they're easy to target they're going to get hit i think uh i think blockchain developers in the privacy privacy space should basically post things completely anonymously um, and, you know, should argue that, well, it, well, if that's illegal, then VPN should be illegal. And if that's illegal, then, you know, credit card encryption should be illegal, blah, blah, blah. Right. So you, the, where, uh, encryption legality begins and ends and whether people can prove you've actually committed a crime is, you know, a, a, where the problem is. And then, you know, encryption in your cell phone for that matter, right? Like if now that you are like, uh, in the United States, and I don't know if some of you guys probably live here. Um, one of the basic principles of the law of the Constitution is uh, you do not have you you cannot be obligated to sort of self-incriminate yourself. So if someone comes, like a detective comes and asks you, uh, you know, did you murder this person? You can basically uh, keep your mouth shut. You do not have to prove you did or not kill somebody because if I go up to you know. Uh, if I go up to Chip over here and, and, and say, hey, you, like, you uh, murdered this woman over here, didn't you? Chip can be like, uh, no, I didn't do it. He can say something or he can just simply say, I'm not speaking to anyone without a lawyer here. What the hell are you talking about? Right. So you, the right to not self-incriminate yourself is a core tenet in U.S. law. But the problem is what happens when 
you have lots and lots of machines sending information towards you that incriminates you and you know makes it seem like you've done something. So you could break the entire legal system of the United States that way, theoretically. That's one problem. The second problem is, let's say uh, you have a blockchain that's public and someone sends information. You have one set of problems. If it's private, you have another set of problems. Look at what happened with smartphones is a perfect example of this. Okay, so the tech guys have essentially been spending more and more time trying to help law enforcement crack into your phone. But our phone has become sort of our peripheral brain. I don't even remember like my, you know, family's phone numbers anymore. I just hit like dial so-and-so and, you know, I might put notes in my calendar saying I need to go and do this appointment or that appointment. Um, whereas you might have memorized that information before. I think most of us agree that if I were to, as a law enforcement agent, come to you and try to sort of pry information out of your brain by torture or otherwise, that most people think that's a violation of human rights, right? No matter how egregious the crime, it doesn't matter what you did, at least in the United States, you do not have the, you have the right to not incriminate yourself through whatever you say, right? But the problem is your smartphone being now your sort of like cyborg, you know, cybernetic extension of you and your peripheral brain. Now, if someone can enter that, you're using it literally as a section of your brain to, you know, stuff that you can't memorize, you're jotting down, right? You're keeping records. So if it's encrypted, you're going to behave one way. And if it's on a billboard out on the street corner, you're going to behave another way, right? If, you're, if your activities on a daily basis are on a marker board outside your house, I would think you would write different things on it than if it was your phone. Am I right? So, so encryption on your phones is important to allow a smartphone to have a peripheral brain function. And if the government has a back door in your smartphone, as a good example, well, first off, is, should Tim Cook go to jail? Uh, like Tornado Cash, because he facilitated um, the ability to have encryption on your smartphones, or or should Steve Jobs have gone to jail, or you know Sergey Brin, or whoever the fuck, right? Like the, anybody that basically enables any kind of privacy technology in that regard, any crime that's committed should all go to jail theoretically. If you kind of take that to the nth level, on the other hand, it's like okay, you have these encryption technologies. Should they be made illegal? But then how do you conduct business on them, right? So it limits dramatically the ability to use a smartphone if you can't be reasonably assured it's safe to put your information on there. Because we know, like, for example, if the, uh, you know, drug cartels from, you know, Mexico or whatever catch wind of maybe, you know, what's in my blockchain wallet and they were to get information about my family or my friends using my smartphone and then they were able to extort me for however much I'm worth, then we can all agree that that's probably a reason why privacy is good, right? So even people in government, whether you're in politics, whether you're in, you work for, I don't know, a Lockheed Martin, or you, you are. Sorry, everyone, my internet crashed. <laughs> so I am now back on data. Um, so we're going to get everyone back in here. I am so sorry for, uh, for dropping my Wi-Fi like that. Uh, grotesquely, I am now on a, uh, data so that is completely my fault i wish twitter let people be on the like at least like the co-host be the one to carry the internet connection over uh that would be lovely we were just getting to the exciting part where sefi was going to start talking about terminator 2 
this is this is where I need I need I need to know how this story ends. So I'm so sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Did we get reconnected? Yeah, no, my Wi-Fi completely cut out. I'm on data now, so we're we're all good. We're good to go. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I was probably talking to myself for 30 seconds. So who knows what the fuck I said? Dude, AI, AI, AI literally died. <laughs> yeah. I think it was the AI algorithm that literally killed the shit. Yeah, yeah, you were too low. Like, you got shut down. You got shut down. We talked. We said too much. This is the problem. Yeah, this is always the problem. No, what, uh, what, uh, no, I think the last thing I was going to say is basically the, the, if smartphone, smartphone encryption is sort of the canary in the coal mine for sort of like all crimes that could be committed. And so far, smartphone encryption has not been made illegal. Um, you know, is Tornado Cash that much different? Not really, because ultimately you can access uh, public and private blockchains for that matter, uh, or even, I'm sorry, uh, uh, privacy blockchains for that matter, you can access them using your smartphone today. So to completely eliminate the possibility that someone could, um, you know, access these things, you know, the way the government will handle this is they'll say, okay, either a smartphone encryption is illegal, or they, someone will come up with this idea that, well, you know, if you interact with certain sites and we can prove it, then you know, we can put you in jail for it. And these are the kinds of, you know, this is what happened with like Silk Road. This is what happened with, uh, I don't know, like Napster and BitTorrent and things like that. But even to this day, like nobody's been able to shut down BitTorrent as a good example. And it's still running. So <laughs> I don't know. There used to be a time you guys are probably, a lot of you guys aren't old enough to remember, but there was a time when significant por- uh, types and quantities of like pornography were illegal. But who the hell is going to try to make that illegal now? They completely lost the battle, and you can watch whatever porn you want. Uh, congratulations, by the way. Um, but uh, you notice how some decentralized systems are so pervasive that it's basically not only impossible to stop them, but like politicians, cops, people in defense, I don't care who you are, military, whatever, you're all using your porn or whatever, and you're just happy with it. So therefore, um, you know, there's no incentive to stop it because that became the culture at some level or the other, right? So like, I think crypto, privacy, uh, all of these things are about cultural shifts and the biggest cultural shifts that's about to happen or is happening as we speak really is the um, AI machine learning cryptography sort of like hodgepodge coming together. And um, the number of dangers I see from that, those systems uh, are just as bad or maybe worse than the number of benefits to the human race. And that's basically just like, you know, the laws of thermodynamics speaking, where entropy is more likely to destroy us than to save us in the long run. Um, so anyway, it's that you start getting quickly into sort of like sci-fi you know, discussions and whatnot. But most of those sci-fi discussions and movies and things, each of them have made actually pretty good points, uh, fairly poignant points, each of them slightly different. A lot of good AI-related like sci-fi shows and movies movies that you guys have probably seen most of them do a good job like of at least covering one you know major pain point with uh ai and cryptography hey yeah, guys, I, I, oh sorry joseph were no, you saying something? i was just uh, gonna chime in and actually change the subject a bit but i mean if you here yeah, i don't mean to don't mean to interrupt uh let's go, let's right go with deeps uh, go go for it finish off the this conversation and then we can go ahead and move on to whatever chip wants to say Okay, yeah, sure, absolutely. No, I mean, like, I, I think your broader point, uh, Sefi, like, that you were talking about, and it's a really strong point, is just 
right? This like thin line of like, uh, what, what exactly are we considering privacy, right? So, so when people hear the word privacy, at least in the crypto space, or maybe it's more from outside looking in, it carries this negative connotation, right? So like, what are you hiding? <laughs> like, what do you have to hide? But we forget that, and, and you, you already brought this up, that like privacy is an essential part of like businesses, right? Like businesses need privacy, like some level to keep their edge. Like people need encryption on their phone, like banks need encryption. With quantum computing, um, like we need to maintain encryption standards to keep things private. So, so I, I do think it's going to be inter- interesting, maybe like you're saying, not necessarily from a human rights, um, free speech, First Amendment, or even privacy, Fourth Amendment perspective, but just, just kind of like where we draw the line on what level of privacy and encryption is okay. Um, I guess at least, you know, from the perspective of the U.S. government. So it's, it's going to be interesting, but I think people often forget that, like, we need privacy, like some level of it. Yeah, again, like, there's pros and cons. Uh, it's like any type of uh, sort of asymmetric warfare, you're going to have benefits and harms to the individual, you're going to have benefits and harms to groups, you're going to have benefits and harms between countries. And uh, all of that sort of is just this big like mix, and uh, you're you're never going to be able to create um, a perfect situation for any one group or entity or whatever you, you want to call it, right? So I, I do know this, like you know, you can't run a business using crypto without privacy. This is not a thing, like. If I am uh, wanting to accept crypto payments for something and, you know, you buying, you know, I don't know, like, you know, something from my OnlyFans channel, because I know you, you guys love that. Um, you know, you want to see my penis or something and you want to do so in private, um, then you basically would need to, um, you know, you, and you don't want to make that like information available to the whole planet, then you might want privacy. Or if, you know, um, a company doesn't want to give away their trade secrets, like, for example, how much money they're making on a given day, or maybe, um, you know, what kinds of music is popular on a music service. Like, businesses don't want to give away every little bit of data trade secrets. So this dovetails with big data in a way where the more information that's that comes together in one place, the more that can be used either to benefit your competitor or could just simply benefit uh, like killing you off as a competitor, right? So it, 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 um, you know, it, th- there's like trade seek. Most people think trade secrets are a reasonable, uh, like business trade off, unless you're like just an ardent, ardent socialist where you think that like everything in the world belongs to the community and there are no individual rights. Um, which I think a lot of people in the crypto space are a bit more libertarian than that, but there are people that act like that too, right? You know, there are. Uh, so, um, you know, so to some people, these, you know, ultra regulated systems, uh, where everyone is made like mathematically supposedly equal through some redistribution, um, they might like the idea of totalitarian states and, you know, forced redistribution of your information. Cause at the end of the day, like money and information are the same hegemony, uh, information, money, it all becomes like just one big hodgepodge. But to say that, like, okay, information is not yours, it's the communities, is the same as saying money is not yours, it's the communities. 
at some level. And uh, if you're an ardent, like hyper socialist, like, you know, maybe you believe that the human race should, you know, in the future be like a hive mind or some shit where we're all connected with electronics and like, you know, me and, you know, Deeb and Orbit and like, you know, Chip and all of us, we're, we're all like connected and we're all like the Borg or whatever. And that's a possible future. If you look at how insect colonies behave, we have perfectly good examples of that in like biology where this happens. And, you know, I think uh, there's some sci-fis that cover that issue, right? Like what, what, what topic hasn't been covered in sci-fi? It's really amazing. Um, anyway, but yeah, if we're all connected, like a little Borg or some shit and, um, you know, like anything that you do has to benefit the collective so to speak, then um, that that uh, those type of people can develop code too. By the way, and when people say, "Hey, I don't want I want everyone to be able to develop whatever code they want," really, you want you want code that can basically enslave you? Probably not. So this is the problem, right? Like everyone says, "Free speech, free speech," until I come after you, you fuckers, and basically try to enslave you. Then you're like, "Wait a minute, Sefi's going to enslave us with this code." I don't know if that code should be free speech. Maybe not that one. So this is the problem we run into, I think, and. I, I promise I'm not going to lock you all up in a in an AI cage or something. But uh, I would I would be honored to be part of a hive mind with you all. For the record, <laughs> I, I I actually kind of agree with this way of thinking, um, but I don't think that this is like a unique thing that is like happening uh, in recent times. I think that this has been happening at a different scale um, locally through the human race. I think that this is like just a time period that we're feeling that it's accelerated because of the current state of technology. Like we have, we have blockchain now, we have this just way to have a distributed decentralized ledger of peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. Um, and so that has evolved into this discussion of like, okay, so now cash is out in the open, it's on this blockchain open source ledger where everyone can access it with the ease of connection of the internet. Um, well, back in the day, I feel like there were systems and these same discussions about like, what is truly private? What is meant to be private? What should be kept to a business? What should be kept to a king or a ruler or a prime minister? I think all those conversations have been happening uh, just isolated throughout human history and just repeated because like I do genuinely believe that there is a basis of like human nature and to the human intellect um, that have just been iterating and evolving and just happening in microcosms where like one society experienced X thing uh, and then this other society experienced X Y thing uh, and they're happening at this different rate. They're happening in different methods and it's just from the cultural areas, I think that a lot of these conversations about privacy are just evolving. Uh, I just think that blockchain is opening up to the concept that we're not in these like siloed groups of individuals. To a certain extent, we are. I mean, there are going to be these different kinds of clashes of opinions and beliefs between all the communities that are connecting here. Uh, but I think that there's something deeper here and the repetition of that. Yeah, the, the, old, the old Testament describes this very specifically. I think most of you guys know this as like, the story of an Adam, Adam and the apple. So pretty much what you're describing is exactly this. And that is that the moment like the human race, be, you know, went past some basic monkey stage and we started writing on cave walls and recording information, not just blockchain ledger, but just writing period. And we have the ability to pass information forward through time, through stories, through storytelling. Then I could basically say, hey, you know, like uh, Rebel DeFi over there, you know, he murdered my, uh, you know, grandmother. And they, they, they tell that story for six generations and his family's ostracized for generations at a time. Right. So like the Adam and the Apple story essentially is like once we bit from the fruit. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no way to go back. 
basically the mind, the human brain, like once invented and once it developed from other primates and we had the basis for early civilization, early culture, we basically opened the door for what we are at now. Uh, and it's been going on for what, you know, well over a hundred thousand years. And um, you're exactly right. Like your each example of society was getting more and more and more uh, a mixture of complexity, more complicated war, more com com uh, complicated information asymmetry, and the ability to use information against other people basically became the basis for modern, you know, um, not only cryptography, but previous to that, the basis for just like secret keeping, right? The spy agencies and all of that that you think of, they're there for a reason, um, because somehow you have to get information from one place to the other without the enemy knowing that, you know, you, you have that information. And it, I think the thing is like, uh, everyone likes their spy agency if they, you know, protect you from something. They don't like their spy agencies when it causes the development of other spy agencies and those spy agencies now, you know, spy on you. So <laughs> there's no there's no way that like you win this game. And that's why in the, in the Old Testament, you know, biting from the tree of knowledge or the, the fruit is considered a permanent condition. And it's not about sin and all that shit. Like, you know, if you get a while, if the Adam and the apple allegory is about information. And the apple is information and the human, the human being has bit out of that apple. And then from then on, like we get with the world we have now. That's kind of the That's, way I look at it. I think you raised a really good point there as far as information and the power it gives and how information has been controlled over time like in societies. And so, I mean, it gives me really the thing that keeps coming back to me, kind of the question or concern with this question about whether code is free speech and kind of background. I'm a lawyer, not a programmer. So I've been thinking lately about code a lot more kind of as a supplement and maybe eventually kind of a replacement for like legal, like legal contract um, verbiage. But um, with respect to like, I guess the question that keeps bothering me is, do we want code to be free speech? If you think about it, it's really kind of, except for you touched on the fifth and the fourth amendment, it's free speech is really just a kind of a jurisdictional hook for kind of a, um, a federal constitutional individual, right? It's for protection by the state. Basically, it's saying that, and again, again, back to what I was saying about contract law, like right now when you're, when you're drafting a contract, all that language is there so that when you go to court afterwards, you can appeal to a, a state, you can appeal to the, the, um, the state or federal, state or federal government that has jurisdiction and where you bring the suit to basically say like, hey, like we agreed to these rights. Now, please enforce these promises that we made. So my question, I guess, there is, do we want that? I mean, in. In a, I think there's a parallel there to the First Amendment. You're basically, you're looking to this federal source of power, the Constitution, this document, to protect the speech that you, um, to, to, to basically allow you to do what you want with code. And I guess the other question, I mean, and forgive me, I just um, finished Balaji's new book, so I feel like I'm pr probably going to be regurgitating a lot of that. But is, um, is encryption kind of a... Um, a technological advance that makes it where we don't need that protection anymore. I mean, does encryption kind of liberate us from the need to appeal to that, um, that central authority to say or do what we want or to code what we want? Well, the, the problem right now with, with the crypto world is that while we can create certain contracts that obligate certain things, we don't have really some kind of off-chain enforcement mechanism. So if we all agree that, okay, well, 
we're not going to use our crypto, you know, cryptocurrency to buy, you know, buy a child porn and like, you know, traffic children. Then, okay, that's great. We all agreed to not do that. But at the same time, like, let's say someone does. The problem is we don't have a uh, like a a core enforcement mechanism to, you know, go and arrest that individual outside of the traditional, you know, legal and law enforcement system. Um, another sort of like example of this problem, and all of you have noticed this, is it just like it, during the times of the rotary phone, it was really, really difficult to call uh, lots and lots of houses and spam them with like, you know, offers for auto insurance upgrades or some shit. And now with like this, the modern, you know, cell phone network, uh, you can robocall, you know, gajillions of people. And now not only that, but they've infringed on my rights enough where I have to get a subscription to a program that blocks all these robocalls and filters them. And so my rights were actually infringed upon via free speech. And then because in the in the world of like signal to noise, if the noise is really high, does that mean that if my communication channels of free speech are infringed upon, is, is that a reason? Like, so for example, if Chip comes up to me and just starts yelling at me all day long, just 24 seven, he's like, ah, la, la, you know, I'm not here. I'm not here. Don't look at me. Uh, I'm not here. But just, he just yells at me and just talks nonsense. Is that an infringement of my rights? I think in modern law, eventually someone's going to make a restraining order uh, uh, against Chip and say, you know what, this guy's just like annoying. Yeah, his speech is like not necessarily illegal, but it's annoying as fuck. And it's reasonable that uh, this guy doesn't want to be annoyed by this or by spam phone calls or whatever. So the tech is creating all these new attack vectors for using free speech against the human race. And um, it's it, we're just at the beginning of it. It's not even we haven't even scratched the surface, I, in my opinion. Yeah, and that definitely makes sense. I feel bear with me like for a second. I think when you look at kind of and think about this in the context of a contract between two people, two consenting, like two people, consenting adults who want to make an agreement between each other, who want to exchange something or any, anything you might make a contract about. With um, contract law as it states and with contract law in any country, basically, you're making legally enforceable promises. You're writing them down and you're both basically reserving the right or you, have, you, you know when you sign the agreement that you have the option to later appeal to a court to enforce enforce those on legally enforceable promises with a, if you think about a smart contract, I know smart contract obviously isn't the same as like a legal contract, but um, it's not, I mean, that's an oversimplification. But if you think about a contract, like for example, I know that some services offer like flash loans. That's basically what I, from what I understand is a loan. It's basically, it's all coded out beforehand. So whenever the party who's going to be the creditor um, agrees to loan, they can see the code. They see what's going to happen. And so they can basically say, okay, I'll take that. That, code in that agreement in some way kind of serves the same purpose it, it facilitates this interaction between two people but if you think about it there's no like there's no acceptance and then later enforcement there's no appeal to a third party it's and it all it happens kind of instantaneously kind of collapses the right of forcing a contract into one and, thing and, and I, smart I contracts really neat. yeah smart contracts can definitely do um it, they can definitely take over some portion of traditional contracts as sure, well sure. as yeah. like NFTs, if sufficiently immutable, could also take over some portion of, you know, what we think of as public records on a database that give us rights to something. So both of mm. these two things, this, this immutability and this, the smart contract concept, 
Yeah, it, it all of it is based in traditional contracts. Um, the the only difference is that the uh, it's enforced in code, um, and sort of you're oh. sort of stuck with that once you make a decision. And that's the question, uh, I guess. Is it really enforced? I mean, it's kind of it executes at the time. It's not really enforced, is it? I mean, it's just it, it is what it, it is. It just like, is. Yeah, right. which is cool. I think that's a really cool idea. I mean, I think it gets down to a point where it's kind of disintermediating everything to the point where and a lot of these things seem trivial now a lot of smart contracts you use it for like an escrow arrangement there's certain things you can do with them that are all kind of trivial and seem gimmicky but i think it's kind of cool you can see a future where these little smart contract things these little automated decentralized things could really start to chip away i mean it's and make large swaths of contract law irrelevant which is i think is super neat but i i also want to take this to like another extension of it uh, that I don't think it's just restricted to just contracts or just agreements between individuals. Uh, I do see a, uh, I, I do see a non-zero chance where you, smart contracts just start getting used as the basis of executing um, uh, change at mass according to like whatever set of data that you have. So like that, that can be abstracted. I know that sounded ridiculous or crazy, but I think you can abstract that concept to the role of a government. I think slowly we're abstracting that like power of a smart contract to how a government actually can interact with its people. Uh, and I do, th I do see some sort of future where a government, like the concept of a government is that it's like a centralized authority, it provides essential services to humans, and it creates a society or whatever the hell that is. Uh, and, and, but regardless, I do see a non-distant future where a government infrastructure adopts the concepts of a DAO, which is essentially just an organization that is operating through said contracts. Uh, and I do see that there's going to be functions to where like taxation just happens at the rate of the contract, like rights are getting waged uh, and argued about at the at the click of a contract as well. Uh, so I do yeah. I do want to say that this is like this is going to I think that smart contracts have a much more of a role beyond just a typical like I owe you money and this person owes me money. Absolutely. I love that so much. I mean, I think in some ways we're just bringing programming language to like earlier, Seth, was talking about like insects and the kind of how they have the hive mind. We're kind of bringing programming into our social institutions. I mean, I'd love to imagine a future where dApps and smart combinations of smart contracts are replacing lots of these kind of institutions we count on. I mean, it's happened with DeFi with banks, but I mean, I mean, there's lots of these tools that are widely available. They can be used cheaply and freely by anyone anonymously. And kind of can give you a lot of the advantage that we used to have to look to a third party for. To, um, and one cool thing that you just reminded me of, um, I don't know if anyone did read The Network Stake, that new book by um, Balaji, but um, he has a really cool idea. My favorite idea from that book is basically his idea is something called a network state that would be kind of the predecessor to, or a competitor or a parallel version of like the nation states we have now. So he, he basically defines them as single change opt-in movements. So essentially it'd be kind of like, like the terror follower, like terror Twitter followers, like people, they kind of that whole, the lunatics that have all, all kind of gone by the wayside, but a group of people who basically opt in to make one change. They say, we're making this one moral distinction. Like he uses like people who are keto, people who want to ban sugar. Like it's one moral distinction from the mainstream society. People can opt in, donate money. They can acquire land. There's a lot more that he builds out. But I love the idea that like, that kind of, you can opt in or opt out at any time, but it kind of gains power based on yeah, people we, and we resources. Sort of, we sort of do that now based on yeah. like whether you, you buy an Apple phone product and you, you get in their ecosystem or you use a Google uh, product and use their ecosystem or whatever. 
or decide not to use either of them. Uh, so yeah, the, if you look at like how Cosmos works today, this inter-blockchain communication concept, sovereign chains, meaning each chain can have their own governance, each chain can have different tokenomics, each chain can have a different purpose, but all facilitated by the same underlying sort of base code or base language and then interoperability, that's sort of like the, the magic and the genius of uh, the cosmos at large. And uh, technically, you could run, you know, uh, countries and countries' institutions and their sub-institutions on various chains. And chains are essentially becoming commoditized where sort of anyone can start one up. And if you and me like to, you know, collect stamps or something and this chain sometime, somehow facilitates that, well, now you have stamp collecting chain or whatever, and and people use this particular currency to you know transact in in this particular niche sort yeah. of moral standard or hobby or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, the governance and movements can opt to uh, segregate from other movements and activities depending on what uh, values you might have versus you know your friend or their friends. And it's definitely creating like uh, moral groups for sure. I think a big feature that we're going to find over the next hundred years is I am pretty much certain that a major religion of some kind of the human race chain. will start will start in yeah in this type of environment. This like there has not yet been a true like new computer religion formed. Um, I mean Scientology is kind of funny. And there's a, there's a few others that are kind of interesting, but um, eventually people will uh, rally around this shit like a cult or religion. And I'm not saying that's a good thing necessarily. I think that's just how, what, how humans behave. But that's what, that'll be the culmination of the network state. And I definitely agree with it, that. In my mind. It'll be one, it'll be one of the endpoints of the, of the network yeah, state. Yeah, and I, I'll take the Cosmos reference as a good segue. I got to go jump on a call with, um, with Jack Zamplin. But um, I just want to, one last point that I think Balaji was the best point from that book was, um, like you said, I mean, people kind of these opt-in communities, I mean, it can make it, it can kind of work like democracy that is in no way like top down. It's not like you're managing the government on chain. It's not it, in some ways you kind of can see how if like, like you said with Apple, if everyone gets Apple phones, all of a sudden Apple becomes undeniable. Like Apple, you can't get around it. Like if the government wanted to make people stop using Apple, everything's happening on Apple. You can kind of see how these opt-in communities could kind of over time in like weird and like localized or maybe even like universal ways start altering kind of what we see as law, altering social norms, altering rules, just because everyone's opted into this community. If everyone's opted into the sugar should be a legal community in Arizona, it's going to be hard to find sugar in Arizona. I mean, it's just, it's kind of cool how it becomes like this kind of bottom up democracy. It's like an alternative to like what we call democracy now, which I thought was really neat. But I've got to run. Thanks, guys, for um for talking. That was fun. My first Twitter space. See ya. Thank you for, thank you for cool. stopping by. Have a good one. So I think we can. Uh, I think we. Uh, I, I, there's something I, I wanted to say, but I completely forgot what I was going to freaking say. Uh, but if you guys have any ideas, or if you guys have anything you want to contribute along those lines, specifically regarding uh, the AI and blockchain component, that's just super interesting to me. Um, perhaps, uh, Sefi, I don't, I don't know, this might be a little esoteric, this might be crazy, but what about a blockchain government system that uses smart contracts, but is developed by a good AI? Like, what if we made sure that the AI was good? 
Yeah, the 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 good AI bad AI argument um is what uh I, if anyone sort of like wants to read up on this a little bit and have a really good read it's it's uh, basically super intelligence by Nick Bostrom. Um he he does a good job with the AI Institute putting together all the pros and cons of AI and why like every possible permutation you could think of of something good or bad happening is more or less covered in it. It's actually pretty good. And the argument ag against the ability to produce a good AI is really simple. Um, I think many of you would consider yourself good people, but would not necessarily hesitate to, you know, putting poison on an ant mound or maybe like, you know, killing another organism or whatever. Like, oops, I, I killed a little plant when I was walking down the street or, you know, on the sidewalk. Uh, you know, so... I think the thing is, any sufficiently advanced um, technology, even if you program it initially to be sort of benevolent, um, what will it do in the name of benevolence, right? Like human beings have waged entire genocidal wars in the name of benevolence. We know this because we've seen it happen again and again. In fact, you could probably point it out anywhere in the human race to any time during the course of human history. So defining what actually is benevolent is itself a, pro a problem that nature hasn't solved in 5 billion years. So this idea that somehow there's a, in other words, it's an unsolvable universal problem that one person's been, something that's benevolent for one person may not necessarily be benevolent for the whole group, vice versa. And the balance point of training an AI to like competently somehow make the best decisions for us, like some sort of Gaia system or some shit where it's like, you know, the whole you know, world is run by this machine um, is, is, a, is a discussion that's been had, right? Like that's a uh, legitimate possibility that something along those lines actually can occur because the more we give up our sort of our brain sovereignty to devices, the more uh, we move in that general direction. So it's not really sci-fi. It's already sort of happening. Um, we're, we're talking on phones and smartphones that we weren't using 50 years ago now. Uh, and it's affecting our brain. And, you know, you're saying things that affect me. I'm saying things that affect it. And, you know, the more popular Twitter spaces get, the more development dollars that are put into it. And it just gets bigger and bigger from there, right? Next thing you know, they're serving you ads based on what I say. Um, you know, that's how this all plays out, right? So the AI sort of story when it comes to the the creation of the good one like google may have a different definition of what a good ai is versus what you have as a good definition and this is the ultimate problem so what will happen in warfare is the the supposed good guys let's say call them team a are going to create one ai and team b who you know you could argue are either bad guys or maybe luddites or just like just they're bitches and they need to be slapped. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, like that, the bad guy, Team B, is going to then be compelled to build their own AI against the one you just built, right? It's simply a matter of like self-preservation that if the United States builds a powerful AI drone system that, you know, China or Russia or, you know, Zimbabwe or whoever is going to feel compelled to do the same thing. This is just the usual escalation. Um, you know, there's some element of mutual assured destruction that we'd like to have. Um, and this this sort of situation happened with nuclear weapons, as everybody knows. Uh, MAD pretty much prevented most of the bloodshed 
of previous centuries, we have way less warfare now as a result of the nuclear umbrella than we ever did in the history of the human race. Like the number of people per capita on this planet that are inscript, conscripted troops has gone down dramatically. Will that sort of situation like you're insinuating is that will that situation translate to AI? Will we have a mutually assured destruction where we won't actually have just one AI? We're going to have machine learning systems. We're going to have AI systems. They're all going to be fucking fighting each other. And maybe they'll ignore us. Maybe they don't give a shit because they're, you know, the Google's AI is attacking Apple's AI and Apple's AI is attacking Starbucks's AI. And you're not getting your latte because, you know, the fucking thing is like messing with the system. And you're like, all right, I'm going to go to McDonald's and buy my latte there. Um, you know, this kind of thing uh, can can ultimately play out in such a way that you have so much machine learning, so much AI sort of just doing shit in the background that you may not even recognize what is or isn't human or what is or isn't actually beneficial or harmful. And I think that's the world we're going to come into. Right. Like I know most of you guys probably have let's say you have children. And your kids are basically playing with like iPads now, right? The whatever Zoomers or Doomers. I don't know what the fuck the latest generation is called. Anyway, they're playing with iPads from the minute they're born and they're pushing buttons on the thing, right? And they're pushing all these buttons and you're like, you have this instinct. You're like, wait a minute. I don't know. Maybe it's not a good thing my kid's playing with this 24-7 from the minute they come out of the womb until now. Maybe they're just going to be losers if I let them do this. Maybe. I'm not sure. But notice how you're not really sure how this tech is going to either positively or negatively affect your families, your children, or whatever. You're not really sure. AI and ML are going to be the same thing. You're not going to be totally sure at a moment's notice, like what's going to be a good effect of the technology and what's a bad one. It's just going to be there. Like the sun is in the sky. You know, the plants are out there. The birds are chirping. AI is fucking around in the background doing stuff. You're not going to really get a sense of right or wrong, in my opinion. Like now, if something really, really bad happens, um, you know, there is like a Terminator type of thing, you know, where or some kind of, you know, major negative uh, untoward effect on the human race happens, then, of course, the debate's going to quickly go to wait a minute, how do I fight this thing? And how do I, you know, build new AIs to fight that AI? And will I even have a chance to, to do so in a timely manner? Nick Bostrom essentially argues that no, you will not have time to do so in a timely manner. Once you have an AI that's sufficiently super intelligent enough with sufficient parallel processing power, it will exceed the entire knowledge base, I mean, the entire sort of processing power of the entire human race uh, in the sense that like two weeks inside this processor's mind will be no different than all the innovative power of all the billions of people on this planet combined over a period of years, meaning that the information process will be so quick that you won't be able to think fast enough to build a new missile or a new like technology to beat this thing. So the, 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 the Terminator 2 world is not going to happen, or the Terminator world, because the cyborgs and shit are going to take over us long before they have to kill us with like projectile missiles. That makes for a good television show or a movie or whatever. But like in reality, there's, it, human beings are way easier to control than having to like wage uh, physical warfare, which is kind of funny. Um, but decentralized computing systems, right? Like it's different, like in Terminator, it's like, oh, we're gonna attack the Terminator's base, right? We all know that in a decentralized system, there's no fucking base. Like, what are you gonna attack? Like, oh, it's, you know, the AI is just in the sky somewhere. It's like, you know, they call it Skynet in the movie, but like, actually it's like this base with this like robot sitting somewhere and you're supposed to go in there with like bombs and John Connor is gonna blow the thing up. Uh, that's not gonna be the, in the decentralized systems, that's not going to be the world you're going to live in. And uh, the good versus bad AI argument almost always ends in this turning out badly for the human race in a nutshell. And that's basically the, the view that many people in AI have come to. Even the folks that are trying to make good ones, they haven't figured out how to like, make that reliably happen in a good way. 
because uh, nobody can agree upon the actual rules of what is good. That's super interesting. It, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, and and you kind of touched on it on the last part there because I was going to ask. I, I, I was going to ask. You know, I'm assuming that you can try to constrain AI. Um, and forgive my AI ignorance, but just to kind of a deontological perspective to some set of rules, um, because, you know, while I agree, um, it's definitely hard to figure out exactly like what is right or what is wrong, because, you know, people talk about cultural relativism. Uh, but uh, I think there's a, a large population of people in the world that also do believe that there are some universal truths that exist. Um, and it, it just makes me wonder, like, you know, will we get to a point where we could, um, you know, make a system <laughs> robust enough to have yes. rules the, and then the, come to agreement if it's the UN or whatever it is? The funny thing is the universal rules uh, do e sort of exist and they're written in the laws of nature themselves and the laws of thermodynamics and physics. Right. And basically, um, we are we are going to succumb to those laws one way or the other at some point in the future of the human race, right? We, we succumb to them every day, quite frankly, like, I, you know, but I actually rem remember the movie that's worth watching that explores this, this concept of like locking up an AI in a box, essentially. Uh, Ex Machina is a pretty good movie, if you haven't seen it, uh, exploring this topic, um, E-X-M-A-C-H-I-N-A. Uh, -A. But it's a pretty good, like, exploration, really well, like, developed movie. It actually helps to watch it after you've read the book Superintelligence. Otherwise, it just seems like something. Hey, this guy's building a sex robot or something. Um, <laughs> it, you don't get the you, like. You know, in the in the interest of pop culture, you know, most people don't have an attention span past a peanut. So most of these movies tend to explore like one like sliver of AI. Uh, Ex Machina is one of those, and you know you have to make it shocking and interesting, and have a fun plot, obviously, to make it like worth watching as a movie, because uh, you got to hack the human mind, right? Like you got to get into the, <laughs> you have to make the viewer finish the movie. But uh, outside of that, like the movie does cover some important subjects of how hard it is to contain an AI. To if you contain it in a black box, and you don't connect it to the world, you can't make it useful for the things you actually invented it for. On the other hand, the argument can be made that if a sufficiently smart enough AI interacts with even one person, that eventually it'll get out of that box because it'll be able to convince you of almost anything, right? Like if it, I put it this way, why do you go and buy a cryptocurrency? Um, people argue that like some of us are like shilling shit and like, you know, oh, go buy Luna because it has UST and blah, blah, blah. You, bought, you buy things because someone says, hey, this might be interesting. And just the hint of the possibility it's interesting, like, I don't know, call it Juno or call it Cosmos or whatever, whatever crypto you want to talk about. It plants a seed in your mind and that seed in your mind starts to grow. And you're like, hey, wait, I heard that they're building X on Juno and they're building this on Terra and they're building NFTs over here. Wow, there's this community forming. And look, all these people are thinking that this is interesting. Uh, maybe I should invest some more money in it or maybe I should like use it or whatever, right? So if you think about how you make any decision, uh, your interaction with the AI will be no different. The little computer in the box is going to say, hey, have you considered, you know, looking at this stock? It looks really interesting because of blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, ooh, that's interesting. Um, but you know what? I, in order for me to get more data, I have to connect this little AI thing to the internet. And if I don't, I'm not going to be able to help my, you know, uh, you know benefit uh, my portfolio. Or the AI might say, hey, 
um, you know, if you can connect me to the internet, I might be able to find a cure for your mother's cancer. You're like, fuck, I don't want my mother to die of cancer. This gets back to the conversation earlier about like, what's good. Well, if you connect to the internet, to this AI, and it's going to try to, you know, it claims it's going to find the cure for cancer for your mother. Now the AI is able to manipulate the broader world. And you don't want to like not cure your mother's cancer, right? So what we know about both torture and other techniques is advanced interrogation and other techniques is that you can make a person do almost anything given sufficient time with a human being. And if you know enough about how that person's mind works, right? Like Google AI right now is doing exactly that. It's making you buy shit by, you know, looking at what, you know, comes to your email, look what you're searching for, and then go, ooh, you might like this baking pan in amazon.com. And you've all, you know, seen that happen. It's the same concept of any AI that you communicate with. It's very hard to lock one up and be sure it's going to be locked up, like, for good. Because then now, remember, this is why Bitcoin is trustless. Uh, human beings uh, can't really be trusted at a core level. If you, like, if I had a really, really, really powerful AI, would I be comfortable if Fildo down there was in control of this thing because he wants to use it for fishing? And like, you know, he goes out there and he's like, I'm going to catch all the bass in this river because this AI told me I could like, you know, get the best reels and the best bait. And, you know, it, it's done all the research for me. It knows where the fish are going to be. And I'm going to use this to do this. But are you comfortable with Phil uh, holding on to this AI because he claims he's going to fish with it? Uh, when someone else can basically have it use it to fly planes into buildings or something. And then you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if Phil's going to go fucking nuts and use this thing against me. I don't want him holding nuclear weapons in his hand, right? So Phil's uh, like uh, clapping down there. He's like, yeah, don't give me that thing. Um, I'm going to fuck you up with it. So the thing is like, even trusted entities might have a good um, heart. They might even have a good reason for what they're doing, but you you don't know for sure that's the case, which is why like, I think, you know, most countries probably have some sort of rule against suitcase nuclear weapons, like no matter how much, you know, like Deeb says he's going to protect me and you from like, you know, the Russians or somebody <laughs> like, I don't know if I can protect, you know, I can trust him with that suitcase nuke. Like, what are you going to do with that thing? Are you going to, you know, you can hold us hostage. You're going to throw it at the Russians. Like, what are you going to do with that thing? Um, so this is the problem with um, with AI and, uh, and and like this is the danger where um, no matter, like a really complex system that once decentralized uh, can become very much impossible to turn off. Like uh, he was mentioning earlier about Apple, you know, like it's not easy to turn off the Apple ecosystem now. It's not easy to turn off the Google ecosystem now. It's sort of everywhere. Um, it's everywhere and nowhere, right? Like there's no base where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do something to Amazon's base. And then this stupid shopping network is going to break down, right? Like, it takes a lot more than that, the bigger these things get. And AI is like, take that, but take it to the hundredth magnitude of that. It's a much harder problem to combat, I would say, than you might think. So that's where most of the movies, like in AI, like I've watched probably every one of them at some point or the other. And if you look at them, you're like, wait a minute. Like how many of you guys have watched movies about AI where there's a Terminator or whatever the fuck? And you're like, come on, get out of here. There's no way they would win, right? Like there's just no way. They just made the the, the human, human beings win for one reason and one reason alone. It makes a good movie. That's it, right? Because who the fuck wants to watch everyone die? Like that's not really fun unless you're a sociopath. And the, so the movies always turn out good for the human race. And we have been lulled into a false sense of security by movies. Um, whereas the negative parts of it are 
sort of brushed under the rug. In fact, some a lot of movies with AI, like what'll happen at the end? Exactly what happens is is that the AI becomes benevolent and sometimes, you know, somehow becomes friends with the humans and everyone loves each other and they all live in like, you know, I don't know, in the same house together. You know, and it washes dishes for you or some shit. Like that's how it ends up, and that's how. And, and but none of that stuff is like realistic at all. Like AIs don't want to eat food. Like they don't want to do dishes. Like what the hell are you talking about? Like why would they help you do this? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of my feel for the movie industry and how they've treated it. I think there's an inevitability where this uh, this kind of concept of AI adoption intersects with uh the human ability for religion uh and uh and just ideologies in general and i think we're already starting to see that within cryptocurrencies themselves um is that it's i think i correlate a lot of the the ideologies that consume people even with like my own ideology be consumed with cryptocurrencies and the entire blockchain technology sector uh there is a form of hive mind that i have become part of uh with everyone who believes in blockchain blah 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 blah. but i think that there are layers of it where it gets even more ridiculous and i think dogecoin is uh, dogecoin and like shibu and all that stuff like i feel like those are great examples of that hive mind to another extent uh, and they're they're almost replicating cultish cult like uh, behavior, uh, and 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 to a certain extent, it, it it you could draw parallels to that to modern religion and modern theology, uh, and, and any kind of like societal belief that you have, if you have that belief in forms of um, beliefs in forms of like actual science. Uh, so I feel like yeah, the human I, mind I, is just like attracted to these things, and I can't. I, I like. I guess I'm trying to pick yeah. where like AI intersects with the humans right now in that form. Hum, human mind. The human mind. AI, you know. Yeah. They, they human, the human the mind AI. loves. Yeah. The human mind loves exactly what you said. It loves that network effect, but at the same time, it, there's like this thing that crawls under your skin, and it's always telling you wait a minute should i have should i be living in caves and just fucking like you know in the garden of eden like should we really be doing all this shit right like there is an element i think in under everyone's skin somewhere deep within where at some point in your life there is a moment you're like wait a minute is this the life we should be living right you know it's there and everyone's thought of it and they're like and then you're like nah fuck it i'd rather just like you know play yeah when us i like i like call of duty too much to worry about this sort of thing uh you know or whatever so you, yeah there is that there is that itch under everyone's skin that i think you can never scratch that you know the human race has gone the route of tech and maybe that's not the like optimal you know way to happiness or some shit you know uh you 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 saw this uh very uh discreetly and very specifically with the like the anti-vax movement as a great example here you have like a biological threat and then you know there's people that don't want to be controlled. There's people that don't want to do prevention. They don't want to necessarily do vaccines, and that's all great. Um, and it's this sort of like this undertone that you know tech is bad, and that you know like there's this itch they want to scratch. That you know it's like this anti-modernism thing that always comes back, always comes back. And you see it like in when every new technology shows up, you'll be you'll see the old guard going, I don't know, these smartphones. They look you know, I don't know why you guys are wasting your time with I'm going to stick with my rotary phone and then you'll have like the next generation and the next generation. So y- the this sort of like puck keeps getting moved forward or the flag posts keep the goal. So is AI the flag post though? Do you think AI is that flag post where we, you just can't move it? Like it's just there. Yeah, it's the last it's just the last bastion of where 
you basically can't go back, right? Like it, it's like the final bite from the apple in the Garden of Eden. And once you bite it, you're just, you just don't go back. You have to assume that we will merge with uh, technical information um, in technical systems. You'll have to just assume we're going to merge with it. Uh, so I, I think that's something to um, like, you, you just have to decide for yourself. Are you going to be in the religion of, I think I'm going to merge with technology. I think my descendants are, if not me or their descendants, or do I believe that biological things and technical things need to be discrete in some way? But we know now, like they're not discrete. Like for example, if I, I see patients every day that have, you know, like uh, artificial things stuck in their body pieces of titanium in their back and in their knees and whatnot people like people are pretty good at like just taking technology into their body um you know body modification and you know tattoos and like whatever right like there are people that are very natural in their mind they're like i don't want anything in me uh, i don't want vaccines i don't want this i don't want that so there there is that sort of bastion uh of i guess human brains that don't they're really afraid of sticking things in the body. In fact, uh, I think Jonathan Haidt uh, is a sociologist. And one of the things he noticed is that people on the left in particular tend to be averse to putting unnatural things in their body. So you'll notice that like a lot of marketing to uh, people on the left, like for example, Whole Foods and shit like that are all about like natural shit. Like, oh, we are, we're organic. There's no chemicals in this. It's like granola and whatever, right? That whole line of thinking is a hack on the mind of people who um, tend to like, they don't want technology sort of in their body. You, you've heard this, like remember Steve, I don't know if you guys remember how Steve Jobs died, but Steve basically had a pancreatic cancer and he probably could have been cured of it actually early on, but he decided he was going to like, you know, drink spices and, you know, large quantities Par of orange juice or some shit, right? So he it was carrot, yeah, juice. carrot juice. Exactly. And it turns out that not only baritine and large beta carotene in large quantities actually increases your likelihood of lung cancer. Incidentally, it's a side note, but, uh, at the, so instead of actually just getting the chunk of, you know, cancer in his pancreas taken out and seeing like a normal doctor, he decided he was going to like, you know, do some kind of voodoo bullshit with carrot juice and I don't know what. And, um, you know, this natural approach, which is actually weird considering he's a tech founder, but at the same time, not weird considering how much LSD he's used. And like, it's, he, he's like, in other words, he's a hypocrite in many ways. Because on the one hand, he doesn't want a drug to fix his pancreatic cancer, but he's perfectly willing to take a drug like LSD, which is totally artificial and stick it in his brain, uh, which is weird. Like, so people are hypocrites in that way. But that's what happened to him. He, he didn't like this idea of, oh, like, you know, modern medicine, which is funny, too, because I think his son became a doc ultimately. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just an interesting um, sort of way this plays out. And I think we all have this like creepy crawly under our skin that tells us like that tech is going to be bad at some level for our daily lives or whatever. And at the same time, we can't stop using it. And uh, I think AI will be the same way. You'll have all these cool reasons why you're going to want to use AI. Like, for example, to cure you of cancer, maybe to like rebuild like your DNA because you have like a DNA virus or uh, you have a DNA um, disease. So some sort of nanobot goes through and like literally like fixes as much of your DNA as possible. Uh, there, there's all sorts of medical examples of how you might use uh, cybernetics, uh, AI, robotics, immunology. Like you can just like proteomics and you can create all sorts of interesting like AI biological hybrids 
that can be good for you individually or maybe for your family to cure you of one problem or the other. Same way like a vaccine might be construed as, okay, I might be able to benefit certain people with it. But at the same time, are there some people going to be harmed by reactions and side effects? Sure. But there are some people that trust these things way too much. And there's probably people that trust these things way too little. And I don't know what the right balance is for people. But, you know, it's funny because like some people will be like, oh, don't give me a vaccine. But they'll be perfectly fine with a titanium knee or some shit like, you know, like, uh, you know oh, yeah. it's a weird it's, it's hypocrisy. The same, it's the same thing I've seen with like um, it's the people who are like who are very uh like i've seen a lot of people and it's just like insane the contradictions that you've seen because i've seen people who are like very very pro vaccine they identify with the science they're like it's it's my choice to get the vaccine but it's 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 mandatory it's paramount to get it and then they'll turn around and literally be like well i don't like eating gmos uh genetically modified uh organisms nah that doesn't sound normal that sounds weird i'm just not going to consume that stuff so i'm just going to go just going to keep shopping at whole foods uh, i i got to have only non gmo stuff uh like that that drives me crazy because it's quite literally yeah. just a paradigm shift but regardless of the of like the cult like groupish of of either side it's crazy and what what ai is really what machine learning in particular is really good at filtering is human hypocrisy. Like, if you don't think that a machine looking at you from the top down, looking at your life, is not gonna recognize every way that you're a hypocrite, you've got another fucking thing coming, right? Like, it is extremely easy with reasonable amounts of data to realize that every one of us is a hypocrite about something, right? I like this, but I don't like that. I don't really know why. They're kind of similar, but I don't know. Ethically and morally, it's like, you know, whatever. Our sort of like uh, vague ethics and morality um, that, you know, and it's funny because it's like, it, it's not even like you and me disagreeing about like, you know, what is a moral fruit to eat in the Garden of Eden. Like, it's basically about me myself being internally inconsistent about what I consider acceptable and what isn't. And this is the problem with creating the good AI, by the way. You make a sufficiently smart machine learning platform or AI platform, it will have literally every single contradiction that the human brain has. And it will be, it will be no better at distinguishing between those in terms of decision-making. And this is the funny problem about machine systems is, is they're not gonna be any they're, they're, it's not actually physically possible, right? Think about this. If you have an alien race somewhere in the world or somewhere in the universe, like, oh, there's going to be advanced aliens and they live in some fantasy utopia or something and they're going to do what? They're not bound by the laws of physics. They're not going to have like one alien that has access to food and the other one that doesn't have as much and there's envy there, right? All of the things that religion has discovered in terms of the discrepancies between one person and the other, groups of people and individuals, and et cetera, et cetera. All the different like politics you see with government and religion, AI is going to have all of the exact same problems, not only between one AI and the other, but between itself and itself. It won't know what the best choice is between two different things. And that's the, the, the hypocrisy you described about like GMOs and vaccines and stuff is exactly uh, ex a perfectly poignant example of how that plays out. And this is why, like, if you want to live in a world with human freedom, you're, the odds you're going to make that worse with AI over being your overlord or whatever, I think there's zero chance of you becoming any more free than you were before 
with AI making these choices for you. Because if you look at the Constitution of the United States, what does it focus on? Free will uh, was not was actually a contentious problem. Like even among the founders of the United States, if you go back to some of the early papers, you know, whether it's Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, no one was really sure whether free will was actually a thing. And the more we know about cognitive neuroscience, the less we believe it's actually a real thing and the way the deterministic universe works. But the, what's fun about life is it's fun to feel free. It's fun to feel like I could choose what I want. I don't have to be in prison. I don't have to be locked up for thinking certain things. I want freedom of speech. I want freedom of religion, blah, blah, blah. And even if what I think is stupid, even if the religion I follow is entirely moronic or whatever, as long as I feel like I could do that without coercion and I could do that to the extent that I want to, I feel free. And I think it's, and that's kind of like the idea between militant libertarianism, where you need to say, okay, well, live free and die. The idea is like not to live the perfect life, but to live a life where you feel free. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's the only thing that can actually be guaranteed by the laws of nature. And this is why like the United States Constitution at its core avoids the idea that the government gives you freedoms. It basically, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights is all about what freedoms cannot be taken away, not by freedoms that can be prescribed, unlike a lot of parliamentary governments, which see it the other way around, right? The government is there to give you rights, not to preserve the ones that the universe or God gave you. The inalienable rights is what I think, um, you know, what the U.S. system is trying to preserve, at least, to the, to the extent that it can or however long that it can. But with AI and everything, the problem is, is like, okay, when you, like, every time you get an ad served by, by Google ads, and I, I, I use that example only because, like, it's something that everyone has experienced. And you don't have to stray far into the internet to realize that you're getting served ads. And but it's convenient. You, but it's convenient. It's convenient, yes. But don't you feel like, wait a minute, uh, like, okay, am I being manipulated by this machine? And the funny thing is, you know that you are being manipulated. It is convenient sometimes, right? Like, it's like, hey, wait, uh, yeah, I am looking for a freaking uh, chair for my bar. Like, yeah, like literally, yeah. I was, I was like, I, I ran out of uh, paper towels or something, and then like a couple of days later, I forgot to get it at the grocery store, and I was like, shit, I forgot, but I forgot paper towels again. And then the next thing I got onto, like, I think I got onto Twitter or something and it was like a promoted ad and it was literally like an Amazon link to like a, like a, like a pack of paper towels on Amazon. And I was like, fuck yeah, now I get to order my, my, my towels. <laughs> the, thing, the thing realized you probably be run out, running out by now based on your use of paper towels and toilet paper. Probably. Like, you might, you might need a little bit more here. Yeah. No question about it. Like, yeah. In fact, if you look at what Amazon's done now specifically, uh, like you said, like if you buy a series of things like for your kitchen or some shit, like I had some of my nonstick wear go bad and I'm like, all right, I need to buy some new shit. So I buy a few things and then it gives you advertisements for all sorts of shit you might like, right? Cause it sort of figured out, okay, wait, people that buy this tend to buy this. People that buy five-star reviews of this might buy five-star reviews of that. And they might say, okay, well, this person has like more money than average because, hey, look, he's buying the best possible ceramic bakeware or whatever shit is in there. So then they find the best possible kitchen knife and sort of throw that at you and see if you'll bite. Uh, and you're like, ooh, I might buy that because, you know, like I, I could research this later or you know what, fuck it, I'll just buy it now because it looks like it's the best or whatever. So it sort of figures out the type of behavior you have and the type of buying patterns of people and then does a pretty good job serving you convenience you're absolutely right that's it can be good in a sense 
it also separates your money from your wallet. And you ask yourself, wait a minute, did I need that new set of kitchen knives? I'm like, fuck, now I have this set of kitchen knives I don't need. <laughs> and I bought it because the AI told me it was a good idea. And so I think everyone has had that creepy crawly sensation under their skin that, you know, um, they're being manipulated. But it's funny how perfectly uh, good human beings are about being manipulated like everyone yeah i like how that some people on the internet call other people sheep oh you know if you take the vaccine you're a sheep or oh if you do this you're a sheep or that a sheep shut the fuck up you're all sheeps okay every one of us is a sheep <laughs> it's just we're sheep in different contexts at different moments in our lives like you know I, I promise you if you get leukemia you're gonna be a sheep too you're gonna want the fucking chemotherapy i promise you do you want to die right now or do you want to live another 10 years okay i'll live another 10 years okay sheep take the chemotherapy then I right? like it's funny like what constitutes a sheep and what doesn't anytime people use that language I'm like I'm, I know I'm I'm with the low IQ crowd um and uh you know like they're just not at that level where they know what they're talking about this is not how uh, the human mind like works in a certain way that we're all sheep about something right it, like disparaging other people for it is obnoxious quite frankly it's like it's like saying hey I'm I'm not human I'm not susceptible to the whims of like temptation and like, you know, the universe. Yeah. I don't like, actually like the, breathe the, air. You know, it's like I they're just, placing I more, magical... more weight on their experience. It's like, it's like their experience is the most relevant one. So therefore they're, they're, they're like, they're saying that this is the correct path. Uh, it's like almost the, I think we're bordering. On yeah. The it's called, that's called the, the experience I of the stuff. called the, I think what you're describing, yeah, it's called the Lucasian paradox or the Lucasian bias, something like that. No, the Lucasian fool theory. And the Lucasian fool theory, I think, is the one where, you know, whichever experience I have is actually the most important experience and the most uh, relevant one. And whatever you think is right is not as relevant because you didn't, like, I didn't experience it personally. And I think everyone does that, by the way. Absolutely. Like, I, like, I, no, I, I know starts. I do that to myself. Yeah, we like, all do it. Yeah. Yeah, we all definitely do it. And, you know, so that's like, yeah, but when you know that exists, it does help you to, sh you know, maybe shut your mouth when it comes to like insulting other people, because you're like, wait a minute, maybe I'm just like saying this because I'm being a douche because like, you know, <laughs> I'm susceptible to this group think to some extent. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's helpful to know those biases and know the way we think. Um, but, you know, getting back to the discussion, like AI will exploit every single thing we just talked about as far as the way people believe and is doing that now to some extent but we're we're not when we think of amazon um systems and we're thinking of more simplistic algorithms we're looking at things like i don't know like siri and alexa in your house and you're looking at those systems or you're looking at like google ads we aren't quite at the level of deploying Google DeepMind's machine learning systems against you yet. Uh, I'll give you an example of how I could manipulate you with the you know, machine systems in a more deeper way, maybe in a more subconscious way than what you're used to. Um, you guys have used some of the like uh, sort of AI art systems, right? Where you, 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 you type in some words and, you know, punches out like a neat little picture based on images off of Google that it merges oh, yeah. together. Right. I think all of us have used that shit by now. So if you, if you use that, you'll notice that it just sort of like creates something fresh, but imagine this, you can take some of those systems and you can take a picture that you already have, like let's say of your friend and you can uh, plug that in and it will actually preserve most of the base features of the original photograph, but then incorporate some other like, 
suggestive information. So let's say an AI knows that you are into certain colors, right? You like Mediterranean colors because, you know, the cameras in your home with Google HomeKit or Apple HomeKit has shown that, you know, you like grays and you like Mediterranean colors or whatever the hell you like. And maybe it knows what kind of music you like. And maybe it knows what your friends look like because, you know, on, on uh, Apple, photo Apple Photos, you know, the app, you can, actually, you can actually type a name in of a person. You can identify an image that contains that person's name, like my son. And it will find as many pictures as possible of my son within my photography collection using facial recognition. But go a step further. Take the technologies we just talked about. Serve me an ad that shows maybe a face that has some of the features and proportion of my son with some of the music and style of like music that I like. You know, maybe I like some EDM. And so it's going to throw some EDM in there. And then it's going to take colors that I, it knows I like, maybe some you know, a little Mediterranean color palette or something like that, or, you know, whatever. And it's going to take all this shit and it's going to combobulate all that together. And it's going to try to sell you toilet paper now. And there's going to be a little model that looks like your kid. And, you know, he's like, maybe not, a, not just like your kid, but maybe like your friend or something. And um, maybe it looks like, you know, it, it'll use an image of someone in your racial group, for example, all of these kinds of like subconscious manipulations, uh, can definitely have not been utilized to their full extent. And I think that's coming very quickly. Uh, if it hasn't happened, it's only because those companies are worried about sort of the backlash from it. And I think they, they're going to get a lot from that. <laughs> but I do think that smaller companies that are not, say, Apple or Google, will emerge using those techniques. Um, I think governments will use those techniques. Uh, so that if, you know, oh, this little fucker, he doesn't want to take vaccines. So we're going to show the vaccine with a friendly thing, you know, you know, uh, with some sort of like, you know, colors that this person likes and maybe some music theme. Oh, look, all the people at the rave that um, Sefi goes to are, you know, you know, taking this vaccine. So we're going to show, all the, you know, the people at the, you know, rave are getting vaccinated. And you're like, oh, that's my people. I think uh, maybe I'll get vaccinated. Whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm not like. <laughs> I think they're already doing that. I think yeah, I think so, they're already doing that. I, I, think, do I think it's just like I think they haven't like they haven't like turned up the accelerator of the AI. Like they haven't yeah. turned on the printer yet. You know, sure, sure. And and right now, you know, you, well, it's called marketing, right? Like we know they do I mean, it. Yeah. There, there's an entire like literal field. You go to college for this to manipulate people into buying shit. So marketing is a thing. But I think, yeah, what you're describing is that like yeah, turning up the dial in terms of the amount of processing power and the depth it's like, of manipulation. It's like folding. It's like using AI yeah. to map out the human mind and, and to do it at like a granular level to the individual. Uh, and I think that like, I've always had this self-combat with myself because like we talked about that whole like Amazon ordering thing. I actually kind of enjoy when Amazon does it. I it's like a guilty pleasure. Like it's it's really nice. It's convenient. Um, they've recommended me so many different products. Like okay, so like one thing that I have is like I I have eczema. And I've had lifelong eczema, and Amazon has recommended some of the best products for me to actually control my lifelong eczema condition. And like it was because of the fact that Amazon uh, somehow Google or Amazon or somewhere in the algorithm there was basically this record of knowing that I'm an eczema patient and I have to go to the dermatologist a lot or some sort of thing was done to like, just like determine that. And, and so then Amazon identified a really good product that 
eczema patients have been giving reviews for saying like, oh, this has cured my lifelong eczema. This has been amazing. Now I don't have to manage it so much. And now I'm getting recommended that product and it helped me. And like, oh yeah. my God, that was great. So it's and this like, is, and it's, this it's is hard, what, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say that the usage of AI to mind map me into things that will actually help me and convenience me, it's yes. really hard for me to decline it. But I also see the other side of the coin that this is a very manipulative and very like dangerous kind of like line of thinking because you can use yes. it for the other regard. You can use it for the other extreme. And, and actually, um, yeah, exactly right. What Nick Bostrom says, or, or I think his writing is actually a collection of lots of people's writing. But anyway, in superintelligence, one of the points that's like made over and over again is there will be lots of good reasons to deploy machine learning and AI. It'll be medical reasons. It'll be for designing new drugs. It'll be for like maybe defending against nuclear war or whatever the fuck, right? Like there'll, there'll always be a good reason to use uh, information and there'll be always good reasons to use computational power. And the difference here is that historically all other forms of technology outside of say nuclear weapons um, have largely benefited the human race. And you could argue that even nuclear weapons benefited us largely because of mutual assured destruction and the dramatic reduction in the number of people in, that are enrolled in the military compared to per capita, compared to history. So even, even that, you could argue, maybe helped us. But the difference is we haven't had, like, uh, we haven't had yet a technology actually superseding ultimately our reason for existence. And that's a very different sort of like existential threat. And, you know, some, some oh, of God. the, Oh God, that's <laughs> some of the game theory. Some of the game theory around this revolves around the idea that maybe the reason why we don't see signals from all over the universe, uh, you know, from alien civilizations is one possibility is that maybe those alien civilizations were all blown, blew each other up with nuclear weapons. One possibility is those they civilizations, died they died out, they just don't, or they died out because they're in the wrong time frame compared to the life of our star compared to other stars, right? It's not, it's not a guarantee in the gray and cosmos. That, yeah, you know, I, we're think a blink. It, I think of it like that there's a, there's like evolutionary like roadmaps and like gaps yeah. and roadblocks. And there's like a theoretical maximum limit that life can't supersede beyond. Not only that, yeah. but intellectual life may only remain on a planet for a short period of time. And even if a signal was sent from another planet to us, it just hasn't gotten here yet uh, because our civilization's only like 100,000 years old or whatever. And so we just can't detect it. All of those kind of window problems in the time-space continuum are like one of the things. But one of the uh, uh, angles is also maybe a sufficiently advanced population is going to shut the fuck up and not transmit anything to anywhere. And the reason is because like, the odds that if a, a, a system, uh, AI-based system, is going to seek out and find you, I think the first Star Trek movie, I think, you know, where the alien finds the Voyager spacecraft or whatever, sort of like <laughs> covers the subject a little bit. But basically the idea is like, if you send out information and let's say a sufficiently advanced enough population arrives, are they going to arrive to kind of like study your religion? Are they going to arrive to read books with you? Are they going to sit at the Starbucks with you and drink coffee? Or are they going to upend the entirety of your civilization and, you know, possibly uh, create chaos, even if they don't intend to? I think most sci-fi uh, uh, interpretations are that even the most benign of alien civilizations that arrive on Earth, 
like the shit hits the fan in every movie that you can imagine, right? Because like, you can imagine today, like, you know, spaceship shows up above the planet. Well, it's like, fuck it, I'm getting off spaces. Um, you know, I'm going to go, like, figure out, like, what to do about this alien problem. It changes the, the, the nature of that planet, the nature of that civilization forever. And um, attracting AI systems and other electronic systems that are floating around space to your planet may not be such a hot plan. Uh, is one argument that there's no, um, uh, uh, and then there's another argument that like every AI system eventually becomes a computron and will build a superstructure around, you know, around its sun to extract the maximum, uh, you know, solar power from it. And therefore like blocks, blots out those stars in a sense. Um, that was, yeah, that was kind of like the thesis of like, this like recent, an ever expanding AI, almost. Yeah, like an this, ever expanding like this, a new new life form, I guess. <laughs> yes, a Computron's goal would be to, for whatever its goals are, it would basically seek out all the energy in the universe to fulfill that goal that it can reach. So, uh, in any given solar system, that would be the, the star, and completely surrounding the star with some kind of megastructure uh, would be a way to accomplish this, and and then it would just essentially blot out the sun. I think um, there's like a, a layer of self-importance to the human condition that like that humans <laughs> now we're really off the deep end. So thank you, everyone who's stayed around for this. Uh, but I do think that there's a layer of like almost self-importance uh, to humans to believe that like some alien race is going to just show up with some of spaceships and be like, we're going to steal your uh, your rare amethysts on this planet because we use it for like life regeneration. Like, I just think that there's this like some. Yeah, I think like, that movie is called Stargate. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. So I can't believe right. I just described one. Jesus. Um, you described like David. Sp what is it? James Spader and what's it? Kurt, Kurt Russell and Stargate. I can't believe I just nailed the. <laughs> okay. I might as well just go to Hollywood and just make one. Uh, but like, no, I I do think that there is just like a layer of like a belief that like humans are on the same layer of operation. I, I mean, I do think that if there is a form of AI that, I, I mean, I think that if there is a logical progression to this conversation, that there is a superior AI that to be invented, um, maybe it's already been made somewhere in the distant universe and it is already making its way throughout everything uh, and everywhere, you know, and it's just going to keep going. Yeah, ultimately, um, you know, uh, so if you look at what we do with organic chemistry, um, I don't know if any of you guys have organic chemistry degrees, but um, basically what we do in organic chemistry, um, uh, you know, which is kind of the subject of some of my undergraduate type work took, long ago. You, wait, orgo, or, which one are we going in? Are we going in orgo one or orgo two? I, only <laughs> took, I took orgo one and All when the I was above. in chemical engineering and then I quit and now I'm a mechanical engineer. For sure. a reason. <laughs> so so you, you'll understand the principles of what I'm talking about then. So if you think about organic chemistry and biochemistry, what is the difference between the two? Organic chemistry is taking compounds that we have around us, such as carbon compounds largely, manipulating them into interesting things like polymers so we can create like, I don't know, polyester clothing or yeah. you know, spandex or you, know, you wanna make, you know, refine oil to put in your car as gasoline or whatever, right? So organic chemistry is a basic concept that you have a chemical reaction driven by catalysts and you can use those uh, natural systems to uh, manipulate energy manip and create um, certain masses that are useful for the human, you know, human race. If you look at biochemistry, the, it's just simply that, but more of it. And it's done in a way that has a very defined um, sort of like system that has formed around DNA, RNA, proteins, and 
um, and the big interplay between all of those things and the natural world. Uh, there's not a lot of difference between what happens. In fact, no, there is no difference between organic chemistry and biochemistry, except it, the type of specific compounds uh, that form and the fact that you can take those recipes and pass them on in the form of DNA um, year after year, generation after generation. That's really the on, only difference. Now, if you take this to the next level, it's basically you say, okay, well, I can now use the magic of biochemistry to now create drugs that, you know, manipulate um, specific uh, biochemical systems that are in the human body. And we, you know, so we call LSD. some of those. So like that? LSD, mescaline, like all, all the good ones. Well, no, I don't even, I don't mean like necessarily uh, mind altering drugs or something like that. I'm, I'm saying just any drugs, right? Like you, you, you can create pharmacokinetic agents that do different things. Uh, you know, like, for example, if I have insufficient formation of the hormone erythropoietin by my kidneys, I can genetically engineer a copy of that in the form of epigen. I can inject it in your body and cause your kidneys, even though your kidneys don't form this, I can inject it and that causes more blood production to happen. Uh, so by understanding how the human body's biological or, and organic and uh, inorganic systems work, I can basically like, you know, replicate that to some extent. So what, uh, what you think of as like transcription between DNA and RNA are basically a bunch of little robots. They're autonomous. They, they don't have a mind of their own necessarily, but they're robotic. And they sort of do what they're programmed to do um, based on their chemical and biochemical structure, right? And you, you see it in organic chemistry, you see it in biochemistry. But, but what if, like, so what, what does life do? What is a virus, for example, or what is like a bacteria? What it's doing is it's evolving constantly to find a way to survive in certain environments, certain animals, certain humans, certain body tissues. And it's going to try to do so in order to perpetuate itself. This is basically the story of life. It's the story of evolution. It's, you know, happening all around us. It's happening in our body today. In fact, like, human body has is thought to have approximately 1 trillion cells and the total uh, cell count of the bacteria and and otherwise viruses in your body is probably in the order of about 10 trillion so we have about 10 to 1 bacteria to human cells in the human body which is interesting just to think about but if so these are all little nano robots they're little robots doing shit they're making your body work you cannot actually survive without all these creatures living in your body um, you don't notice them on a daily basis, but yet there they are. So imagine this, though. Ultimately, um, we're using technologies like proteomics, genetics, to create synthetic uh, genomes. We're creating synthetic proteins. Um, we're going to connect uh, AI and machine learning to these systems. And now the, the non-biological systems, like computational systems, can easily create nanotech size robots or biological robots in the, si in the size of enzymes and proteins that we use in the human body. And you're going to want these things. Why? Because they're going to make you live longer. They're going to cure your cancers. They're going to whatever, right? And just like you said before, your eczema was benefited by you getting suggestions of certain creams or whatever that helped reduce the inflammation or moisturize or whatever. You're going to get a similar concept when it comes to cancer therapies or anything for that matter. And I think as time goes on, we're going to have sort of more and more people that act like more the anti-vax crowd is like, fuck it, I'm not getting that in my body. 
I don't care if Amazon tells me I can cure my Amazon, you know, my eczema with, uh, you know, the CeraVe cream or whatever the fuck. Like, I'm, I'm not going to take that because Amazon said so. I'm going to do the opposite. You're going to have this like backlash among human beings regarding whatever tech is developed. And then you're going to have another group of human beings. They're going to say, you know what? I'll augment myself with those little nanobots. If it'll make my little retarded son, you know, be smarter and, you know, he can go get a job in, you know, computer programming or in blockchain or some shit, then I'm going to plug this, plug him into the system. I'm going to inject him with nanobots because he's going to be, you know, get a better job. He's going to be rich and he's going to, you know, find a prettier wife or whatever the hell. So you're going to have all these reasons. You're going to make all these reasons. The average person is going to find lots of reasons to use products built by these things. And pretty much what you know, the game theory would suggest, you know, and in, in, in super intelligence talks about this a little bit, is that basically the human race, the allure of the apple in the Garden of Eden, and I just sort of inject that the, the Old Testament allegory in there just for fun. But the allure of biting from that apple is too strong. If it can cure cancer, it can do this, it can do that. And the other thing, and you're going to want to bite it. And so as AI progresses, like it, you're going to get to the malicious AIs. And you're going to do so. It's kind of like what is it? The road to, you know, the good. You know, the road to good intentions is paved with gold or some shit. I don't remember what the name of the, what's the phrase. Uh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> the road. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, it's like the road is gold, but like at the end, there's this wizard behind the curtain, and he's fucking with your life. Um, whatever that is. But the point is, like, uh, there's gonna be a lot of good intentions, and whether or not the end goal of the human race, um, you know. Is that going to be an optimal condition that human beings are going to want to live in? Are we going to be made extinct? Are we going to be made like part robot, part human? Uh, I think life will basically merge because technically there are things that living organisms do really well in terms of how they interact with the environment and how they survive and how DNA has been proven to pop perpetuate itself over 5 billion years. I think any AI worth its salt is going to notice that biological systems have a lot of useful sort of like technical innovations that took 5 billion years to form. And on the flip side, living organisms like ourselves are going to say, fuck, I could spend the rest of my life and I'm not going to be able to memorize the encyclopedia. This AI did it in one second or whatever. And it's going to be able to do all sorts of other things for me. So what ends up happening is, is like the biological systems and the, uh, the electronic or computational systems sort of merge because both of them benefit from each other at some level or the other. This is where I think that goes. And I, and I don't think it'll be like just one or the other unless there's some kind of paradigm. And again, you, you, like you said before, the human-centric version of my discussion here is somehow we're going to be fine if, if only we merge with the fucking robots, right? Like, but actually, that may not be true either. That just may be my human centric naivety, where like the dinosaurs are gone. And like, what 99% of all the species that ever lived on this planet are gone. And, you know, like the deer walking around the forest, or the sheep, as people say, uh, probably feel like they're fine until they're not fine. And odds are that that's true of me, it's probably true of all of us. Um, uh, superintelligence suggests that actually the AI will just simply supersede us because there's another thing we haven't talked about, and that is time. The perception of time is very specific to specific organisms like human beings, uh, like turtles, like bacteria or whatever. It, how your DNA and your biological systems respond to your lifespan 
um, is very different. And our perception of time, relativistic time, especially where like the faster I am moving, the difference in how time passes for me compared to everyone else, like Einstein's, you know, theory of relativity from, from the perspective of like perception definitely holds. And what that means is an AI who is basically thinking at the speed of light. Um, our brains do not think at the speed of light, by the way. We are bound by sort of like uh, chemical and physical constraints that are sublight speed for sure, right? But if you were to take a computational system with enough neural connections, let's say, I don't know, uh, you know, measure them in, uh, uh, you know, tens of trillions of connections and, or, you know, or hundreds of trillions or more. And these things are happening at an extremely fast rate with a high speed pruning rate. Then what will happen is, is that it, these creatures, these AIs will not perceive time the way you and me do. So you're thinking, Hey, it's like, uh, it's considering my, you know, keeping me alive. It's considering watering my garden. It's bringing me food. But like, while it's grocery shopping for you, the fucking thing has already like, you know, figured out how to cure all human cancer. It has figured out this, it's figured out that. It just hasn't told you yet. And it's getting all this leverage against you to, to play games with you. But not even that, like, it just won't care you exist. Because imagine, um, right now, like, I think the planet is, I think, moving at something like uh, 250,000 miles per hour around the solar system. Like, you and me don't notice this, right? But if that, that speed itself actually creates a situation where we're at sublight speeds, but relativistically, we are perceiving time differently than, uh, like, for example, uh, exact same moment if another creature is another galaxy or closer to the sun or in a gravity well, like, for example, like the movie Interstellar kind of tries to cover, like time passes differently, right? So these creatures, because their thought process at a different speed, their actual perception of time will be different. And therefore, its value systems will be dramatically different than yours and mine. You see, you see how it works. Like in other yeah, words, yeah, imagine, yeah. imagine you, imagine you actually have, uh, like you've already lived a hundred years worth of life and you have all that wisdom and you did so within one year. And I was locked in a prison. I didn't know anything for a hundred years. And I have, I just was locked in a prison and, you know, fed four meals and you and I both meet at the end of this like little journey, which of us is going to be more successful in the real world? The person who's had this hundred years of experience or the person who's been had none, right? That would be a good example of how, the, how this differs. But the difference is that for you and me, that the amount of time that's passed in real world is basically zero or let's say an hour or something. And, uh, you know, the, it's going to base, you are going to have a very different value system than I am. And it's going to happen within moments. It won't take years or uh, or months or whatever. The va your value system and my value system, even if we knew each other before entering this theoretical, like alternate reality, our value systems are going to diverge within seconds of this kind of difference in relativity, right? So this is why like thought and how time works is extremely important, and why we will not win some sort of like AI battle or some shit like there's no battle to yeah be that makes sense all that will happen is yeah we'll just simply merge with this experience it'd be no different than like the sun shining in the sky or like you don't have a battle with the weather every day do you like you're not you're not out there trying to like you know make it rain or some shit i hope or like, like we're the dancing fabric out there. of the universe like i'm not trying to like yeah you're you're, you're trying to alter the fabric of the universe to yeah like oh well my mom died i'm gonna like 
I'm going to open up the fabric of the universe and bring her back or something like this. Like, yeah. I think most of us aren't sitting there waving swords at the universe trying to fix it. Um, I think our experience with AI and machine learning will be no different. It'll be just the new norm. It'll be the new nature. And whether we like it or not, it's coming. And it will come in a form that you and me aren't going to be able to control, no matter how much we want to. Right? That it's is a weird super situation. Yeah, what we're doing is we're, we're basically courting the bringing of an alien into the planet because a, a sufficiently advanced AI would be no different than an alien that grew up on another planet. I mean, other than the fact that it would be right? like you would consider one alive and you would consider the other one not alive, like uh, alive in the sense that it has biochemistry. Maybe, although you might find that like the aliens out there might be not that clear either, right? Like they oh, might like already they be like a merger. at some point had like yeah, an artificial like like uh, like, uh, like a non like just an organic an or like an organic yeah, actual like for entity. For example, it's possible that let's say an alien race came to the planet, and they know the dangers of like maybe mechanizing, uh, mechanizing living things. Let's just say they went through a war at some point. And they're like, fuck that. We're, we're, we're not going to do the AI game. Our spaceships are made of like soap bubbles and we're going to, you know, I don't know, like whatever. They're like the alien Luddite. They show up on Earth and they check your knee and they're like, ooh, this little fucker, he has a titanium knee. This planet's going to be marked for execution, right? Like, <laughs> like, like okay, so of, like it'll be like organisms of like organisms of like the of the universe just like feuding at that point. Like yeah, like the, the value board. system. Yeah, the value system of that alien civilization, even if it's favorable towards biological organisms, may see us as a threat because we enjoy the benefits of I don't know, like you know, Amazon, you know, web services or something. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, if we, if it, if that's the case, we're already doomed. <laughs> yeah, but but it doesn't take long to come up with these scenarios. And that's why that's why I'm saying like there's an inevitability to this that um, like there's so many permutations as far as AI and machine learning as far as how many things can go wrong and only a very narrow band of things that can go right. Why is that? It's the same as like I don't know like why is Earth habitable? It's a certain temperature and water is not frozen on the Earth uh, for a significant portion of the Earth. Most of the oceans are water. Or like fossil um, fuels exist, and, but if we use them and harness them, they harm the planet itself, like... Or whatever, right? Like, you know, l l let's assume that, you know, um, you know, or there's other problems, like some systems have too many, like, meteors and shit, and they're still bombarding the planet. Oh, yeah, whatever. yeah. Or like plate so, tectonics so many, yeah. just stops working or some shit, like, yeah. Yeah, so life, I think uh, there is this consideration that life requires a very, very narrow band of sort of homeostatic conditions compared to the relative band of conditions available in the universe. Say, for example, you know, getting temperatures near absolute zero between the galaxies, or let's say, you know, maybe life doesn't find that satisfying, or maybe there's not enough energy to, you know, do any serious replication at those temperatures, or maybe like the center of the sun is not a great place to flourish as a organism right so that you you can you can find immediately like extremes in environments where it's like i don't know if life can really exist in the middle of the sun i guess it could like maybe if it was made of i don't know what and it, it like you know was transmitted with some like how, then you have to just discuss like how you define life or whatever but some sort of information system 
you know, I don't think most of us believe that there's an information system that, you know, is propagating and surviving within the sun that we're, you know, that we're not aware of, you know, maybe, maybe some of us worship the sun God, you know, I mean, I, I'm or, convinced that, or something, you know, <laughs> I'm convinced that literally quite everything is just some form of code or artificial intelligence. Like, just, yeah, well, like, there's, there's the simulation argument, I guess. Yeah, like, I just, I, I mean, like, the way that you describe, like, human lives, like, bacteria, viruses, and all that, I mean, like, they operate very similar to the artificial intelligences that we're creating now. Um, and so I think that the, and this just might be because I'm off the wagon, I perhaps had some mushrooms at some point in my lifetime. Uh, but regardless, like, I do think that they, I, I think, do, I do think that there is like an intersection between like, all these iterations of life forms, uh, just like developing in different regards. Uh, it's interesting that you point, point towards like kind of a unification between like the human experience and artificial intelligence. That's something I never even considered or realized. Uh, and that makes a yeah. lot of sense. <laughs> the, the, hard, the hardcore astrophysics crowd just think like fucking nuts without the mushrooms. That's the difference. They just, uh, you know, <laughs> so, in other words, <laughs> them. All, all of this shit that I spout actually doesn't actually involve any actual psychedelics, which is funny. Um, it, it, it easily could, I suppose. Uh, or, or you would know if i was telling the truth or not anyway so it doesn't make a difference <laughs> yeah no i mean who, who is to say what is a psychedelic experience and what isn't a psychedelic experience uh but regardless uh i have to go i actually have to start making dinner now for my sweet girlfriend uh it's been a great week uh there's been a lot going on in the crypto space this week went absolutely crazy um but there was some terra alpha i want you guys to go check out the latest the live stream that came out onto the channel where we dropped some new alpha about a new project launching on luna chain Really excited about that one. Sefi, thank you so much for hopping onto this space with me this week. This was incredible. This was a lot of fun. Shout out to Deeps. Thank you for joining. Uh, yeah, well, cool having everybody. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we're hosting these every Friday. Um, uh, or Next week, we might be moving it to Thursday. I'm doing research on data. Uh, I think Thursdays are prime time. Thursdays around this time at like 3 p.m. Eastern uh, is when we kick the, or three, 4 p.m. Eastern is when we kick this one off. So I'm looking at what data potentially would be better for hosting a Twitter space. Uh, but regardless, look for as Twitter space to be hosted either Thursday or Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I hope everyone has an incredible weekend. Make sure that you are checking the charts every five minutes uh, and make sure that we burn all the lunacy in the world. Uh, Doquan for jail, Doquan for president. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was a discussion on whether or not blockchains and AI technology will end us, the creators of that technology. Hosted by the Bytes Digital Group with CeFi, Deeb's DeFi, Orbital Command, and more. Recorded on Friday, August 12th, 2022. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way Resuscitating major players in the waiting room Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom Slayed a few in my early years, often ate the shroom Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news To let us know what we should believe as the latest truth Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio Trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role Sorting through support from your endorsements Of course we're tripping balls, handing reports in the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do
me what that think it do. Two plus two. Big thinking energy always gets the best of me when I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes. Gotta mix and match, flip the latch, letting rhythm scratch. No shit, spitting facts with my vision smashed. Big drip aristocrat, dishing out a list of trash. Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch. Better let the missus know where you hit the stash. Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps. Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines. And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies. Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise. Chastised into digging holes in the back nine. The latest proof ain't a way to move Change the view Just a bunch of pecker heads Living in a chicken coop Picking at their dinner finger Licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute Then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Spaces.